0: And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796 2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So, we've spent a lot of time this week talking about baseball. I'm kind of done with it, I'm kind of over it, at least for now. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed because I think baseball has a really good shot to come back really soon. And because of money and negotiations and and it's about power, it's about respect, right? Millionaires and billionaires wanting their respect and wanting to keep their money. And I understand that, but it's still difficult. It's frustrating. It's disappointing. So I don't want to talk about it today. We're going to do other stuff. I want to change gears and and focus on some positivity. But first, before we do anything, for the first time on the Wisco Sports Show, I actually want to talk about hockey for like 30 seconds. Bear with me because I know nothing about hockey. So I'm not going to pretend like I do. But shout out to the NHL because before the NBA, before Major League Baseball, it looks like they're actually getting something going for resuming their season. By starting the playoffs, 24 teams. It's based on their conference. And the postseason format was approved by the Players Association on Friday. Games would be held inside empty arenas to hub cities where players, staff and others would be housed. Originally, they were looking at four different cities, but now they got it narrowed down to two and they're trying to figure out the logistics, everything that goes behind it. Look, hockey's a long way away from restarting, but unlike baseball and the NBA, They have a plan, and they've come together, all the teams, the Players Association, and they've agreed to it. Now, executing it, actually getting it done, that's going to be difficult, but everything's difficult during a pandemic. So shout out to the NHL for doing what the NBA and Major League Baseball hasn't been able to do, despite playing a more physical sport with more contact. There's blood, there's sweat, there's Gatorade flying everywhere, and they need ice to play on. Think about that. Every game needs a crew of people to work on the ice, to Zamboni the ice. That's more bodies in the building. That's more maintenance than mowing the grass at Miller Park, right? Or shining the floor at an NBA arena, whatever they do with the hardwood. I don't know. Hockey figured it out. So kudos to hockey. We don't talk about hockey on the Wisco Sports Show ever. Probably because Wisconsin doesn't have a hockey team, but also I'm not a huge hockey fan. I don't know a lot about it. So I like to stick to the stuff that I do know to avoid sounding like an idiot, although I think uh, I actually sound like an idiot. Uh, a, a good chunk of the time anyways. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Always good to keep that in mind. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. We're going to talk about some positivity today. Coming up at 5.15 or so, we're going to start for the third week, packing time. We're going to go packing time and look at a classic Packer game. Reminisce, get nostalgic, but also try to learn a little something about the Packers today. So by request, Andrew called in yesterday and said, hey, why don't we do a Favre game? Why don't we do a Super Bowl game? So today, this morning, I sat down and I rewatched Super Bowl Thirty One, took vigorous notes, most of which I'm not going to share with you because they're kind of boring and nobody wants to hear bullet points. But some really, really fun memories from that game, some great performances, and I think one really big lesson, that team in 96-97, coached by Mike Holmgren, a big lesson that we can take away from that team to the 2020 Packers. So I'll share that with you as well. That'll start up in about 10 minutes. Let's start with basketball because this is fascinating. Two weeks ago, I said the NBA not coming back. I don't believe it. I don't expect it. I'm not getting my hopes up. Adam Silver didn't seem to have direction. He didn't seem to have a a good solid control over the situation. He was surveying players and GMs and the Players Association. He's still doing that. I, I don't, if Donald Trump all of a sudden went on Twitter and put out a poll and said, hey, Americans, what would you like to do? Vote on my Twitter poll. I'd be like, are you kidding me? Now, you may have your problems with Donald Trump. We're not going to get into that. But if any president sent out a letter or a tweet or a post on social media and said, hey, Americans, we want to hear from you. Should we go to war with this country? That would be an incredible display of weak leadership. I don't know. You tell me. You're the president. You're the commander in chief. If we're supposed to go to war, don't ask me. Figure it out. That's what the president is for, right? And I feel the same way about Adam Silver. Now, obviously, going to war and restarting a league during a pandemic aren't The same, but it's a difficult process and people are naturally going to agree and disagree. And Adam Silver asking players, hey, what do you think we should do? Look, I get you want to you're the players commissioner and you want to take their opinions into account. But man, figure it out. This is what you're paid for. This is why you wear the big boy suit, the commissioner suit. It's why you stand behind the podium at the draft and why you speak for the NBA. I didn't like it. I still don't feel great about the NBA coming back. I'm sticking to that take. But it's gotten a little bit more encouraging. Well, maybe not encouraging, but it's gotten more interesting. We've heard more concrete proposals and ideas for how the NBA might resume. And in Adam Silver fashion, a lot of those ideas and proposals have actually just come from writers who just wrote a piece and said, hey, here's what I think. And Adam Silver and the NBA said, you know what? That, that's a good idea. We're going to steal that, which I'm not against, but is definitely on the brand of Adam Silver, the player's commissioner. We have some interesting developments. Interesting. I don't know if they're necessarily encouraging, but we have some interesting developments. Now, the NBA is going to do things in one hub city. That was the plan from the beginning. Not from the NBA, but everybody just assumed, rightfully so, that if they're going to resume the playoffs, they're not going to be flying from city to city, arena to arena. They're going to gather in one hub location that will house and basically sequester all of the necessary personnel for the NBA playoffs there. To lower the risk, as low as possible, it will never be eliminated, but to lower that risk that a player or a coach or somebody gets infected with COVID-19. First, it was Vegas. Right? Well, they could do it in Vegas. What about MGM Grant? They put a they put a bid in, right? They made their case. Ah, it didn't work. What about Los Angeles? A lot of people thought LA would be the spot between the Clippers and the Lakers facility and all the venues they have in LA, which are currently vacant because nothing's going on. LA made a lot of sense. Shame the lacrosse centers are modeling. Otherwise, maybe we could have put in a bid. But now it sounds like Disney World down in Florida. They are making the case. Now, Disney World has announced that they're going to be opening pretty soon in July. And on top of that, they said, hey, NBA, come on in. We'd love to have you. Keith Smith of Yahoo Sports reported yesterday. He spoke with a Disney World source about their reopening plan and how it could impact the return of the NBA and the hosting of the NBA playoffs. Right? Because, wait, isn't the idea to isolate the players? How's that going to work if they're little kids running around, eating cotton candy and going on rides? Well, the source from Disney World said it should have no impact. We were transparent in our plans for reopening our theme park as part of the proposal to the NBA. So the NBA knew about this. Disney World's reopening, and they want to welcome in the NBA to play their playoffs as a part of that reopening. Now, Disney makes sense for a lot of reasons. right? Disney also is a part of ESPN and ABC. right? They're all under that same umbrella. And ABC and ESPN combined spend billions of dollars to broadcast the NBA playoffs, money that they have already spent. Now, if the playoffs don't happen, the NBA is going to have to pay back that money. But wouldn't it make sense that because Disney, and by extension ESPN and ABC, who air the the playoffs and the finals, they want those games. Why why not be an active part in bringing those games back? It makes sense because of the TV money. It makes good PR sense. Remember, the owners of Disney World and the people in charge at Disney want to sell the idea that Disney World is safe. And hopefully if they're opening, it is safe. And hopefully they're not trying to to pull one over on their guests. But what says safety? Like welcoming in hundreds of NBA players and coaches. Hey, it's safe, right? We're playing games. We're bidding back to normal. Look it, we have TV crews here. It's safe. And that would be a great bit of PR for Disney World to put people at ease and say, it's time to come back. It's okay to come back and enjoy our theme park. It makes sense from that direction. And Bob Iger, who was the CEO at Disney, is counseled with Adam Silver about bringing back the NBA. He's counseled Chris Paul, who's in charge of the Players Association. Bob Iger has got his fingers in with the NBA and the people involved with the NBA. So it makes sense on so many different levels. I'm, n- I'm not against the, the, the location, the locale of Disney World. I do love the idea of Brooke and Robin Lopez running around Disney World. I think that would be amazing content. I think it would be great. I don't have a problem with the location. What I have a problem with is the proposed format. Now, I thought that all the teams would be brought together, sequestered in one location. Now we've learned that Disney World is the front runner and they do the normal playoffs one through eight seed, both conferences, seven game series, just like normal. But the last couple of days we've seen proposal and proposal and proposal of, of anything, but all of these proposals of formats and plans that aren't anything like the traditional NBA playoffs. Yesterday, I saw the idea that the NBA is going to reseed all 16 playoff teams, 1 through 16. Instead of 1 through 8 in each conference, we're just going to do 1 through 16. Why? What problem does that solve? Now, the Bucs, at least in the first round, their path wouldn't change. They'd still be matched up against the Orlando Magic. But they're on the same side of the bracket as the Clippers, a team that they wouldn't have to meet except if they're in the finals. So, if all the seeding plays out the way we would think, the Bucs are going to have to beat one of the Heat or the Thunder after, of course, they sweep the Magic, and then possibly the Clippers before facing the Lakers in the finals. How is that fair? The Bucks and the Lakers earned the opportunity in the regular season by winning as many games as possible, more than any other, to have home court advantage in the easiest path. The Bucs earned the right to not have to play both the Clippers and the Lakers, mostly because they're in the Eastern Conference, but also as the one seed with the best overall record in the NBA. I get they can't have comorbid advantage. That's, that's understandable. We live in a pandemic. But why do we need to change the format further? That doesn't make any sense. Yesterday, I saw the one through 16 reseed idea. Today, I'm seeing a group stage idea. The idea that they're going to model after soccer, after European soccer leagues. The proposal would be to change the first round out with a group stage. So 20 teams with the best records would be placed into four groups of five teams. Teams would play two games against each opponent in their own group. And then the teams with the two best records from each group would qualify for the second round. Eight teams advance, and then the teams would play seven-game series to determine the champion. Why? Why? And I get soccer fans love this format. It works for soccer. What problem does that solve? This is a solution in search of a problem. This only furthers the idea of an asterisk, by the way. I get why the NBA would want to put in special measures this year to make it as normal as possible to avoid the champion being tainted. We don't want an asterisk next to the season. Of course there's a pandemic, so we're always going to remember it as a pandemic year. But why would we further change the format? That only encourages the idea and further's the idea of an asterisk. Why would we do that? And I hear all the people on TV and radio and people writers that I read today. Well, this is fun. This is different. This is going to get ratings. Yeah, well, we could also have them play with their hands tied behind their back. That'd be entertaining. But why? The NBA, like the MLB, is using the pandemic as an excuse to get something they've always wanted. I think Adam Silver has always loved the idea of a 1 through 16 seeded playoffs, and he's going to use the pandemic to try to, to try to get that passed. It doesn't solve any problem, but the pandemic provides an opportunity for change, just like the Major League Baseball wants to change to a salary cap format. And they're using the pandemic as an excuse to try to do so. What problem does any of this reformatting solve? I don't get it. I understand that my Milwaukee Bucks, who earned the one seed in home court advantage throughout, aren't going to be able to play at Fiserv form. I've accepted that. But why should the NBA have to change formats further? What problem does that solve? It just furthers the idea of an asterisk. It doesn't make any sense. I feel like I'm the only one who actually likes watching basketball. Am I the only NBA fan that just wants to watch games? Everybody's talking about how we can improve the playoff structure. Let's go to a group, a group stage. Let's go to a reseeding. Let's do this. No, how about we just watch the games? Isn't that all what we want? We want games back. I feel like I'm the only one who actually likes watching games sometimes. Coming up next, speaking of watching games, I rewatched Super Bowl 31. Brett Favre, Drew Bledsoe, Bill Parcells, Mike Holmgren. It was iconic. The 90s jerseys playing on the terrible-looking turf in the Superdome with sneakers. It was awesome. Pack in time. Let's throw it back. Coming up next, the Wisco Sports Show presented by Play It Again Sports right here on WKTY. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. Follow me on Twitter at KeystrokerGrant. You want to keep up uh, with what I'm doing. Normally what I'm complaining about, what I'm whining about when I'm not on the air, follow me at KeystrokerGrant. You can follow the station, everybody, Dave, myself, Hunter, follow us all at WKTY. So the last couple of weeks, every Wednesday, because we don't have live sports to talk about, I thought, let's get nostalgic. Let's watch old games, and we've been doing this thing called Pack in Time. I know it's corny. I You got a better suggestion? Go ahead and text it to me. That's not the point. We call it Pack in Time, and, and I've been watching old Packer games. We've done one from 2014, one from 2016, and... Andrew, one of our callers, suggested yesterday that we go farther back. Let's really get nostalgic, and let's do one of the Super Bowls from the late 90s. Now, I don't know about you. I'd much rather watch the Packers win and talk about the Packers winning as opposed to losing to the Broncos and Elway. I have seen Super Bowl 31 probably 20 times while drunk on 3rd Street. There's a bar on 3rd Street that's always got it going on TV. We all know the one. And I would love for that particular fine establishment to put their name on this show through some nice advertising. I'd love to do that, but until they do that, I'm not going to shout them out, but I think we all know what bar we're we're talking about. So it was cool to sit down and watch this game that I've seen so many times through uh, some beer goggles and actually hear the announcers and pay close attention rather than just yelling. Every time the Packers score a touchdown, the Packers ended up winning this game 35 21 to get Reggie white, that long awaited Super Bowl to kind of back up the MVPs that Favre had won in the nineties. And finally, Really, not cement the legacy of Brett Favre, but take him to the next level. Because like Michael Jordan in the late 80s and early 90s, he needed to to get over that hump to finally winning a championship, and he did. And Brett Favre, a lot of the same. He'd shown that he could make the throws and win MVPs and carry a team, but he hadn't won at the highest level yet. This game was his chance, and he grabbed a hold of it. Mike Holmgren as well. So apart from being the Super Bowl, there was a lot on the line for Favre and Sherman and Reggie White. Everybody in this game. So, without further ado, Packers-Patriots, 1997, the 96-97 season, Super Bowl 31, Packers-Patriots. Let's go pack in time. I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. What the hell's going on out here? Everybody grabbing out there. Nobody's talking. The title is back in town. The Green Bay Packers are world champions of football. Maybe my favorite part about this game was getting to listen to John Madden at the beginning try to explain how big of a game this was. (laughs) Or like, John, we get it. It's the Super Bowl, man. You don't have to explain how important the game is. We're watching it 20 years later for a reason. It was hilarious. This was a record-setting Super Bowl for a lot of different reasons. That's something I kept noticing during the broadcast is they were setting records. They were doing unprecedented things in this game. They had four that jumped out to me. The longest passing touchdown, that was 81 yards to Antonio Freeman. They had the longest scoring play and return, the 99-yard return by Desmond Howard, who ended up winning the MVP. Most first quarter combined points. It's a very high-scoring game early. 24 combined points from Green Bay and New England. Green Bay had 10. New England had 14. And the most return yardage in a Super Bowl to that point. Desmond Howard had 244 return yards. 154 on kicks. 90 on punts. This game was wildly entertaining to watch. And you think, okay, you're going to sit down, watch Drew Bledsoe, Brett Favre. It would be all about quarterbacks. And Mike Holmgren said in his pregame interview, he said, all right, whoever limits turnovers and whichever quarterback plays better, that's who's going to win. Now, Brett Favre didn't play amazing. He didn't play great. He didn't play terrible. Drew Bledsoe didn't play terrible either, except for his turnovers. That was the other part that Holmgren mentioned. He threw four interceptions. He had 48 attempts, 25 completions. Brett Favre, 27 attempts, 14 completions. Neither quarterback was great, both well under 300 yards. They had great moments and great throws and a great stretch here and there, but neither one put together a complete great game. This game was decided by defense and by special teams. The third, This is what blows my mind. The statistic that really points out the importance of defense and special teams rather than the offense, the third down percentage, New England was 4 of 14. Green Bay, 3 of 15. Both under 30%. New England, 28%. The Packers at 20%. This game was decided by special teams and defense. Now, Brett Favre gave his defense and special teams a chance. Drew Bledsoe did not. Three players that jumped out to me, and this is obvious. Leroy Butler, Desmond Howard, and Reggie White. Now, Reggie White is remembered as the all-time great. Desmond Howard is remembered for the moment, the return in the Super Bowl MVP Perhaps the best all-around game and the most impactful game came from Leroy Butler. Howard and Reggie may have had bigger individual moments, but start to finish, Leroy Butler was everywhere. Everywhere. And as a safety, it reminded me a lot of what Mike Zimmer does with Harrison Smith. On big, important passing downs, he'll use him as a pass rusher. He'll play him on the back end too, and Harrison Smith has great ball skills and he's a big hitter. And he could intercept the ball just like Leroy Butler could. But Leroy Butler's Like Harrison Smith, their utility comes from their ability to rush the passer and really be disruptive up front. And what Shermer did, the Packers defensive coordinator at the time, was a lot of times line up Leroy Butler opposite Reggie White and use them both to rush the passer. It was brilliant. And one play sticks in my mind where Leroy Butler, who had a sack in this game, and his sack came after completely blowing over a running back that tried to come over in pass protection and block him, just blows him over to get to Drew Bledsoe. And Summerall had this amazing quote where, it, and, and Summerall and Madden could not have been more different, which is what made them a great pair. But Summerall goes, Butler rushed the passer like a lineman on that play, John. And then John rambled and rambled and rambled and, and said, you know, much less with with more words. But Summerall made it very clear. He said, Leroy Butler looked like a lineman on that play. Just blowing over the running back to get his sack. Reggie White had three, Leroy Butler had one. Those were the only sacks that Green Bay recorded. They were all big. But Leroy Butler's utility as a pass rusher, lining up opposite of Reggie White to kind of take some attention away from number 92 was brilliant. And Vikings fans, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Every time I watch a Vikings game, the announcers are pointing it out. Well, here goes Mike Zimmer using Harrison Smith on an important down to rush the passer. Really, really effective. And and, and Schirmer at the time, the defensive coordinator, did a lot of similar things. It was brilliant. That was Leroy Butler. Desmond Howard one Super Bowl MVP. It probably could have gone to Reggie White. It probably could have gone to LeRoy Butler. You could pick a lot. Of, when one team blows out another team in the Super Bowl, and the Packers won by more than one score, it's oftentimes difficult to pick the MVP, and you sometimes get weird names like Bobby Wagner for the Seahawks. Right, and in this case, Desmond Howard. There are a lot of great choices. Not saying Bobby Wagner wasn't deserving, but it 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 turns out to normally be a toss-up. It's not one clear player. Desmond Howard had the biggest play at the biggest moment of this game. So Green Bay's up 27 at half. They're up two scores, and they are cruising. They get the ball to start the second half and don't do anything with it. They could have gone up three scores, didn't. Now New England has the ball. They drive, and they score. They make it a one-score game. And all of a sudden, you might be thinking, okay, Coach Parcells and the Patriots might be onto something. And then Desmond Howard did what only Desmond Howard could do, and that was completely take control back of the game. It sure is. Benetieri. you better turn it on or he's gone. I actually really like that call from Summerall simple. And he doesn't really raise his voice up and down, you know? And then of course, John Madden comes in. I think he's going to score Pat. And then Pat would be like, and so he will like, it's a perfect contrast between the two of them. And that return could not have come at a more crucial time. New England gets a little momentum and right away gets snatched back. And Summerall points that out. Now it wasn't just that play outside of that game. Howard's fingerprints are all over this game. He had four kickoff returns, combined 145 yards. He averaged 38 and a half yards per return. And when you're catching the ball normally around the one or two yard line, you're going to put your team near midfield between the around the 40 yard line. That's a huge advantage. He also had six punt returns, 90 yards, averaged 15. That's a big chunk, and that's a big advantage when you're always giving your offense a boost of 15 yards off a punt, 40 yards off a kickoff. Field position was huge, and Desmond Howard controlled it. In this game. Leroy Butler. Desmond Howard. Reggie White. Defense and special teams. Reggie White had three sacks. Two came in a row. And at the best possible time. Desmond Howard returns that kick. To go back up two scores. To snatch momentum back. And then Reggie White didn't allow the Patriots. To pull the momentum back once again. He gets two sacks in a row to force a punt. And that's basically it. They just have to not turn the ball over. Which they do. Don't make any dumb choices. And the Packers ended up winning. Reggie White's two biggest sacks of his career and two biggest sacks of this game came at the biggest time in the game directly following Desmond Howard's return. That's complimentary football, baby. When you got Desmond Howard cruising one back for 100 yards to take back momentum and then Reggie White going out to clamp it down. That's complimentary football. And speaking of complimentary football and defense, you can see Ron Wolf's MO, his mode of operations at work all throughout this game. What do they always talk about when they talk about Ron Wolf. You need pro bowlers at every level. And they had that. Up front, they had Santana Dotson, Gilbert Brown, the grave Digger, and Reggie White. They had George Coots at linebacker. And in Packers style, the linebacker group was the weakest group on the defense. And George Coots didn't play in this game, but still good enough to get by. And then, of course, they had Leroy Butler on the back end, who, as we've already talked about, could move everywhere. On any given play, one of those guys was bound to disrupt things. One of them. Not all of them. But playing and play out, chances are one of those guys, on one of those levels is going to make a play. That's how they end up with four interceptions. And the key was using the players in a complementary fashion. Like I said, with Butler and White. White on one side, Leroy Butler on the other. It was beautiful. Complimentary football. And to, to tie it into 2020, with the Packers expected to play a bunch of dime, they, they took more snaps in dime last year, which is six defensive backs on the field. Six D-backs on the field. With the Packers expected to play a bunch of dime, Mike Patton should look at this team. And think, okay, how can I use Savage or Amos or Jair in a pass rushing capacity? How can I bring them up by the line? And then you can use Preston and Zedarius Smith inside to help out with a weak defensive line in in the in the, in the the run-stopping game. And I don't think Zadarius and Preston will have an issue. They got their money. They got their big contract. They want to win. So finding ways to use Savage and Amos and Jair in a way that Shermer and Holmgren used Leroy Butler in 96-97... I think could be really advantageous because it frees up Zedarius and Preston Smith to do other things, not just get to the quarterback every play. And that's what the Packers need. Some big bodies up front to help stuff the run and sure up the tackling up front. We got to take a break. We're late, but we're having a blast. We're going pack in time, talking about Brett Favre's Super Bowl win in Super Bowl 31. We're going to continue this conversation coming up next. And once again, try to tie this game and this team into 2020. See if we can't learn a thing or two. The Wisco Sports Show, back in a moment, presented by Play it Again Sports, right here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. My name is Grant. I am lucky enough to be your host. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out the show in podcast form. You can find it at WKTYsports.com and on the WKTY mobile app. That way, you can catch up on what you missed. Maybe you love something I had to say so much you want to hear it twice. I don't know why you subject yourself to that, but to each their own. We're going pack in time, talking about the Packers Super Bowl from 1996-97, 1996-97, Super Bowl 31 against the Patriots, which gave Brett Favre his Super Bowl ring, which gave Reggie White a ring, and uh, cemented Ron Wolf and uh, and uh, Holmgren as Packers legends. And exciting, tomorrow we're actually going to have Leroy Butler on the show. So we're working on a couple of details. He hosts a show as well the same time I do, but we're going to make it work uh, and do the interview just a little bit before the show. So tomorrow, we're going to have our conversation with the man who... Took over Super Bowl 31 as a pass rusher, as a safety, as everything. Invented the Lambeau Leap and uh, should, quite frankly, uh, definitely be in the Hall of Fame already. Leroy Butler will join the Wisco Sports Show tomorrow uh, around 5.30. So I'm super excited for that. And we can naturally talk about this game. The point of this segment, pack-in time, hasn't just been to talk about an old game and to reminisce and say, I remember him! It's not why I'm doing this. Although that's fun, I'd rather do it at the bar with some friends. I don't know if that would make for great radio. I don't know if you'd like listening to that. The the point of this is to hopefully look at an old team the same way we look at history and learn something and hopefully get smarter because of it. And maybe the Packers could do the same. I said in the last segment, man, Mike Patton's got to take a look at this team and look at how they utilize Leroy Butler. Because the Packers are going to be playing a ton of snaps in dime this year. They led the NFL last year in in dime snaps, meaning six defensive backs on the field. Because the Packers have a lot of great defensive backs. They don't have a lot of great linebackers. They got pass rushers and D linemen, and they got secondary players. So they played in dime. Because they didn't draft much in the way of linebackers or bring in any free agents, I don't expect that to change. So with all of the defensive backs on the field, why doesn't Petton take a look at what Leroy Butler did in the 90s for the Packers? Move around Darnell Savage and Jair Alexander and Adrian Amos to free up Zadarian and Preston Smith to maybe be hired hands in the run defense, which is severely lacking. I think Mike Pettin could learn a lot from watching Leroy Butler. I think we can learn a lot. One thing that jumped out to me in a big way and one similarity that I noticed between the Packers in 97 and this team now, and it concerns me a little bit, so Farvin Sherman in this game, they tried to run the football and they tried to go underneath and run screens and do, and 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 run smaller, easier developing plays. Dorsey Levins had 14 carries. Edgar Bennett had 17 carries. The Packers tried. Here's the thing though. New England had great tacklers near the line of scrimmage. I mean, Chris Slade, Ty Law, Lawyer Malloy, who speaking of secondary players who were great tacklers, those are another two examples. Teddy Bruschke up front. Who, who was great as a pass rusher in this game, too. The Packers tried to run the football, and they tried to play underneath, but New England was too good up front. Their tackling was was really, really good. And the Packers were struggling to pick up yards after the catch. So, the Packers' scores instead came on big, explosive plays. The Andre Risen catch to start the game for 54 yards, and then, of course, Favre takes his helmet off. And the Antonio Freeman catch for 81 yards. Their two touchdowns, except for Brett's run at the pylon, were big, over-the-top plays that completely took the top off the defense because that's where New England was vulnerable. Madden pointed out a couple of times they were targeting corners on the outside because they knew they could win those battles between Freeman and Ryzen and even Don Beebe, who was open for a play, and Favre ended up missing him. Outside of those deep plays and one drive where Brett Favre runs it in, the Packers really struggled to move the ball. Their third down percentage was terrible. A lot of punts. The Packers punted seven times. And we're not good on third down. Not at all. So what does that have to do with the 2020 Packers? I see a lot of the same in Matt Lafleur Through his offense and through his scheme, he wants to establish something on the ground. He wants to run the ball, get players moving laterally, scheme receivers open, make simple throws, and, and collect yards after the catch. Lafleur wants to do things the easy way, just like Holmgren and Favre wanted to do things the easy way against New England. Let's get Dorsey Levins going, Edgar Bennett going. Let's involve our tight end. Let's get some yards after the catch. The problem is, New England was really, really good up front, and sometimes there's nothing you can do about that. So Matt LeFleur wants to establish the ground game, get yards after the catch, and that's great. That'll win you a lot of games. Look at the Vikings game. Look at the Cowboys game. The Packers were able to do it. The Oakland game is another great example. But what happens when you meet a really, really great tackling team like that New England team in 97? Like San Francisco, who the Packers were bushed by twice in 2019-2020. The San Francisco 49ers have a defense that's pinned on the edges by Nick Bosa and D. Ford, who are not just great pass rushers, but are great tacklers and great in the run game. Then their linebacking core is unreal. And a lot of people don't know because these are names that don't jump off the page as first round picks. A lot of these guys were second and third rounders. Kawan Alexander, Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw. Really, really elite sure-handed tacklers. And they make life really difficult for offenses that are reliant on yards after the catch. Screen plays, pitch plays, slant plays. You can be a great running team with great scheme. And I think the Packers could be that this season. But if you go up against a team like San Francisco, you're going to struggle. I don't care how good Matt LaFleur is at scheming guys open. I don't care how great Aaron Jones is. You're going to run into some really good tacklers, and you're going to struggle to move the ball. But the thing about the Packers in 97 is they had Antonio Freeman and Don Beebe and Andre Risen, who could blow the top off a defense if need be. So that's what they did in the Super Bowl. They said, screw this. Let's stop trying to run the ball. Let's just try to win, and let's take shots. And Brett Favre hit a couple of big throws. That was the difference in the game. Now, I like Devontae Adams, and I like the idea of an improved wide receiver group with MVS and EQ and Funches, However it shakes out, I, I don't care. Any combination of those guys, slightly improved. I, I'm good with that. I think I think there's a great start there. But I'm concerned if this team has another gear to go to, like the Super Bowl team did in 97, and Super Bowl 31. Dorsey Levins and Edgar Bennett were great players. And the scheme that Holmgren and his staff provided was great. The problem was New England was really good at tackling. So what did they do? They said, all right, let's switch gears. Let's involve Freeman and Ryzen. And let's take some shots. And that's how they won the game. If the Packers find themselves in another game with San Francisco this year, and they're going to at least once, I think in week nine. And if the Packers want to make the Super Bowl, chances are they're going to have to go through San Francisco in the playoffs too. They will meet a team that is an elite tackling team. San Francisco, possibly another. What happens when Aaron Jones struggles to pick up those easy yards? What happens when they can't run a screen or run a lateral pitch play or run a slant? Do they have that extra gear? Do they have the talent to stretch a defense vertically, not just horizontally? Does Aaron Rodgers still have the arm? Because on deep throws last year, he wasn't great. Go watch the Detroit game. I love Aaron Rodgers, but he's not the deep throwing quarterback he used to be. Now, that doesn't mean he can't win. Doesn't mean he can't be effective. But the recipe for beating the San Francisco 49ers is not run, 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 run. Short pass, short pass, short pass, short pass. They're just too good. Now, that doesn't mean you can't run the ball. Doesn't mean you can't throw short. But you need to have a compliment. You need to have the flavor. You need to have the zest that can blow the top off a defense. Not on every play, just enough. That's all the Packers did in the Super Bowl in 97, just a couple of times between Ryzen and Freeman. And they took shots that were there and Favre missed. Like I said, Favre wasn't incredibly accurate in this game. But he had a couple big throws. That's all it took. The Packers are going to have to probably make some deep shots and convert them against a team like the 49ers because they're just too good up front to go four or five yards at a time. Some quick scores, some easy scores. I don't know if they have the wide receiving core for it. Devontae Adams, he'll work. That dog will hunt. But what about the rest of them? It would actually be perfect if Valdez Scantling turned into the player that we thought he might two years ago. Just a deep just a deep threat. Now, I don't want MVS to exclusively be a deep threat. I think the Packers and the floor fell into that trap last season by only using him as a deep threat wide receiver. You gotta involve MVS in the short passing game and, and getting some easy catches because all the time we talk about a quarterback and you need to establish confidence. You need to get into a rhythm, and you do that by hitting some quick, easy passes. Why can't the same work for wide receivers? Let's bring Valdez Scanling in and do some short passes as well. And I think they made that mistake last year. But if MVS turns into the receiver we all thought he could be a year ago, he might be perfect for taking some deep shots. I don't know what, what Equinymia St. Brown is going to bring to the table, but maybe he fits that mold. Maybe Funches does. I don't know. But as of right now, and from what I saw last year, I don't know if they have that extra gear. I don't know if they I don't know if they can take that step up. The team in the late 90s did, that's why they won a Super Bowl. That's why they were able to overcome the Patriots' defense up front. And I think it's a really important lesson to pay attention to. You need to have another gear. You need to have a plan B. And if Matt LaFleur gets so focused on plan A, his offense, his running game, his scheme, and then you run into a team where plan A doesn't work, then you get the result that we saw twice last year, which is two embarrassing blowouts against Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala in the San Francisco 49ers. Really, really, really bad. When we come back, we're going to wrap up this game. I have a couple extra fun thoughts. I love John Madden in this game. I love some of the graphics. I have some questions to ask you because I wasn't, well, I was alive when this game was played, but I was very, very young. The way sports used to be, the way we did graphics, the way announcers behaved, I I, I have a couple of questions and some statements I want to share with you. I also want to talk about something Aaron Jones had to say today. He had a quotation that made some headlines. I'm sure you, you saw it. If not, I'll share that with you coming up. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show as well. Coming up next here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. We've been going pack in time once a week, every Wednesday, looking at an old Packer game. Today we're talking about Super Bowl 31. This is an easy one. Anytime the Packers win a Super Bowl, of course, I'll sit down and watch that. I'll take notes. I'll discuss it. And I apologize, I would love to welcome you into this conversation as well on the five-star telecom Talking text line, 608-796-2558. I'd love to do it, but our phones are down today. And because we are all social distancing and we're living in a pandemic, I can't exactly get a phone crew, get an engineer in here. So tomorrow, phones will be back. And joining us on the phone tomorrow will be Leroy Butler. Should be a Hall of Famer, former Packer great. Safety invented the uh, Lambo Leap. And a big part of Super Bowl 31. So tomorrow we'll talk to him on the Wisco Sports Show. A couple things that jumped out to me about this game. Just kind of funny little tidbits. These aren't uh, ideas on players or schemes or anything like that. Just, Just stuff I thought was funny. John Madden, I have heard more through impersonators than I have actually heard him doing his actual job. I actually love listening to him in this game. And I know he's a little bit extra... And sometimes he rambles and he really goes crazy with the yellow pen on the screen, which I just I think funny. I'm not going to get up in arms about that. That would be kind of a, a crotchety old man thing to do. I think he had I he called a great game. And you notice that a color commentator is doing a good job when he makes a statement. And then a couple of plays later, he revisits and says, OK, here, there's what I'm talking about. Or next quarter says, yep, this is exactly what I predicted. Or, yep, I talked about this back in the first quarter. A good color commentator builds brick by brick by brick as the game goes on. Otherwise, it's just a random observation here and there. And let's be real, anybody can do that. Anybody who watches football can say, hey, that's a nice tackle. What a good block by the left guard. But of course, we know color commentary is a lot more than that, And except for when I'm doing it for high school games. Then it's, then it's about as basic as it gets. John Madden at the end of the first quarter talking about how it was a record-setting quarter. 24 combined points. 10 for the Packers, 14 for New England. Talking about how this game had a little bit of everything. And this is just such John Madden perfect uh, for his brand right here. If you like points, if you like scoring, if you like offense, we've had it all. we had a little running, passing, trick plays, bootlegs, long passes. That had everything. Not much pass rush, though. Yeah, John, everything in this first quarter. No pass rush indeed. I love, love the contrast between the stoic Pat Summerall and kind of the hot mess that is John Madden. And we don't want to admit it, but Tony Romo is actually pretty similar to John Madden. He doesn't feel the need to use superfluous language as I just did. That's kind of a, that's kind of being hypocritical. Like, don't use over-the-top language as I use over-the-top language. But John Madden is casual. He's like, Boom! Ah! You know, as he pants to the crowd, you see Reggie White's wife. And at one point, John Madden said, oh yeah, she's up there saying, way to go, Reggie. It's like, okay, we we get it, John. But it's very similar to what we love about Tony Romo now. And I enjoyed listening to him. And I enjoyed listening to him and Pat. The first Super Bowl that Fox ever covered. Which is something I didn't know until today. When I had to go back and, and do a little bit more research. Something that I don't get. And this is, this is a question for all of the people who were watching the Brewers in the 80s. The late 70s and the early 80s. And watching the Packers in the 90s with Brett Favre. Can I ask you something genuinely? And unfortunately our phones are down today. So you can't answer. But maybe this is something we'll talk about at a different time. How did you watch sports? When the score wasn't on the screen, like I watch old Brewer games from the '80s, there's no score, there's no count, there's no how many outs, there's no marker to indicate who's on base. Nothing. You guys just watched blind. Ignorance was bliss. How did you, did you have to keep track mentally? That'd be so much work. You sit there with a scorebook. I don't get it. And I watched this game, and what was hilarious is there was a hang time graphic. So on the punt went off the foot of the punter in the right-hand corner of the screen, a little box would come up and say hang time and the stopwatch would click. Fox put a hang time clock in, but at this point in 97, there was no down or distance marker on the scoreboard. There was no down or distance marker on the field. There was no yellow line. How did anybody know what the hell was going on? You, you all just must've been much better and much smarter sports fans because of this era. Now everything's on the screen and it's clean and... And we understand, okay, there's the three dots for the timeout, and there's the yellow line on the field, the red line if, if it's a fourth down, right? How did you watch sports before this? How? Because I watch old Brewer games, and, and uh, Fox Sports Wisconsin has been playing classics just like we've been playing classics from the Brewer's Radio Network every Sunday here on WKTY. I don't understand how you guys watch sports. The, the, you must have had to pay such close attention. To know everything. And compared to now, when every graphic and every statistic is put on the field, we're hit every other second with statistics and history and stats. But now I can go on my phone on Twitter and say, oh, okay, yep, here's the NFL saying this. Okay, the call was reversed. Here's why, blah, 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 blah. Everything's at the touch of our fingers. And even 20 years ago in 1997, I don't know what the downer distance is. I don't know if I could have survived at that time watching sports in the 80s and in the 90s. Maybe you liked it better that way. Like I said, I wish we could talk about this for longer. I wish the phones were working today so I could I could talk to you, uh but unfortunately we can't. Aaron Jones today, I'm sure you heard the news in the Wisconsin Sports Zone update, uh wants to be a Packer for life. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. The idea of being a Packer for life because it's not something you see in the NFL very long. It's something you never see ever with running backs the way that the running back position is handled now. It's not something you see. So we're going to talk about that, maybe what that quotation means and what the Packers' plans are moving forward for Aaron Jones. We'll talk about that tomorrow. We're going to be joined by Leroy Butler, uh, former Green Bay Packer and should be Hall of Famer tomorrow as well. At some point, we got to figure out the scheduling, but he has agreed to come on, which is exciting. I also want to patch, uh, or not patch, but pass along the news. We're starting a new giveaway And you got to go to WKTYsports.com to participate. It's real easy. We want to see a picture of you in your favorite Wisconsin sports gear. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. We want to see it. Maybe you are a fisherman or you enjoy hiking. Whatever. It doesn't even have to be a jersey. Your favorite sporting gear. Just upload the pic to the WKTY website. And starting next week on the 5th, Dave is going to draw one winner every Friday. Now the winner gets four rounds of golf from Trempolo Mountain. And beer and burgers at Howie's after the round. So it's really a start to finish day. Oh yeah, and by the way, that includes the cart because that for me that's that's a that's a non-starter. If I don't have a cart, I don't want to go. So you get you get four rounds of golf including the cart at Trumpelo Mountain, and you get beers and burgers at Howie's to kind of decompress after an afternoon of golf. This is going to run through the 19th, so it's going to be two weeks. We'll have two winners. So get it uploaded. I'll keep you reminded as the day comes closer. But just think about. Putting a picture together. Get that old jersey. Get the throwback jersey out of the closet. Maybe you have a Leroy Butler jersey. That would be perfect. But your favorite piece of Wisconsin sports gear, take a picture, upload it to our website. There are more details about the giveaway there because a pretty cool package on the line to play some golf, get some beers, get some burgers. I mean, who's going to say no to that, right? Thank you for bearing with me today as we get a little nostalgic. We talk about a Packers game from 20 years ago. Although if you're like me, Look, you'll talk about the Packers winning a Super Bowl anytime. That is a luxury that we have on this side of the river that maybe on the other side, they just don't. Okay, that's the one time, the one time I'm going to take a shot at the Vikings. We can wait until football season starts now, but I just had to get that in there. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about Aaron Jones' comments. We're going to talk to Leroy Butler, former Packer great, and absolutely, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl with him. Absolutely. Tomorrow, same time, same place, here on the Wisco Sports Show on WKTY. Talk to you then.